This is Zoe Church LA. We're not just fans, but rather followers of Jesus. Tune in as Pastor Chad Veach teaches of God's love and how we can live a Zoe life, an abundant life. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, uh, go to chapter number 9. And uh, we're going to jump in in just a moment, sorry, chapter 3. We're going to jump in in just a moment. We are in a series called Knocking on My What? Door. Knocking on My Door. We've been talking about whether you realize this or not, Jesus himself is knocking on your door. God has not sent an angel or a preacher. He has come himself to knock on the door of your heart. In fact, watch what he says here. This is our theme scripture in Revelation 3.20. Watch it on the screen. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. He says, If, emphasis on if, because what God is saying is you don't have to. I've given you free will. It's your decision. Like there are certain people when they knock on my door, I kind of peek to see if I want to. I see some weirdos, I'm like, nope, we're not home. I see Postmates, I'm like, come right in. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will dine with him. Thank you, Postmates. And he with me. Translation, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. And he wants in. He doesn't want to stay on the outside. He doesn't want to stay outside looking in. I wonder if Jesus is looking at your life today going, whoo, there are some things I could help you with. There are some things I could unlock. There are some things that I could heal. There are some things that I could restore. Come on, I can't do it from the outside. I do my best work when I get on the inside. Come on, Zoe, we have a rule. If one person claps, everybody got to clap. Don't make that little saint in the back be like clapping by herself. We all joining you. If I come in and dine with you and I eat with you, by the way, Jesus is not gluten-free. He can eat whatever he wants to. If I come in and dine with you, this changes everything. Why does God want on the inside? Because he's not a God of religion. He is a God of relationship. Religion changes you from the outside in, but Jesus will change you from the inside out. Religion is behavior modification. Don't cuss. Don't do this. Don't root for the clippers. When you got Jesus, you just know that's sinful. You just know, like, why would I ever? That's religion, behavior modification. Grace comes on the inside and changes us. One of the things I love about God's knock is that he just keeps on knocking. He keeps on knocking. And keeps on knocking because he has a plan. He has a a vision of where he wants to take your life. So he doesn't knock once and get on the inside and go, job's done. He keeps on knocking for an opportunity in your life to take you further than you ever imagined. And the way he changes you is from knock to knock. From moment to moment. From open door. I call it from one God moment to the next God moment. From one moment of surrender to the next moment of surrender. Watch what he says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. This is the message translation. And watch how Jesus changes us. 
It says, whenever though they turn to face God as Moses did, God removes the veil and there they are face to face. They suddenly recognize that God is a living, personal presence, not a piece of chiseled stone. And when God is personally present, a living spirit, that old, constricting legislation is recognized as obsolete. We're free from it, all of us. Nothing between us and God. Our face is shining with the brightness of his face. And so we are transfigured. Come on, church, we are changed. We are changed much like the Messiah. Our lives gradually become brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like him. You see what the Bible's saying there? When we let Jesus in, we, our face gets bright because of the brightness of his face. We are changed from moment to moment that we spend with God. In other words, a moment spent with God is not a wasted moment. A moment spent with God is a changing moment. When you behold how good and kind and loving God is, it will change your life from the inside out. I want to preach a message on Heart for the House Sunday. Write down the title. It's called Defining Moments. Defining moments. And I'm believing that as we talk about defining moments, really we're talking about God moments. God moments in our life that he comes and they really change who we are. By the way, God does not change you because he's mad at you. He doesn't change you because he's disappointed. He doesn't change you going, what's wrong with you? No, he loves you. He's obsessed with you. He's for you. And he has a better tomorrow for you. Come on, anybody believe that today? Amen. Come on, bow your heads and let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you are who you say you are and you can do what you said you would do. We ask on a day like today, will you help us understand your grace, help us understand your love. We thank you that you're faithful. We thank you that you're kind. It is your character and your nature. It is not just what you do but it is who you are that changes us. We hear the knock today. We can sense your knock. And Lord, we are opening the door, not out of fear, not out of shame. We are opening the door because it's your love that has overwhelmed us. We thank you for the knock. We thank you for the grace. And God, we thank you that you're knocking on the door of the Lakers to win an NBA championship. Lord, we thank you that we'll open that door and gladly welcome another parade and another ring. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, come on, let's clap together. The devil is a liar. He's called a clipper. Come on, let's clap a little bit louder in Jesus' name. I, I, I don't know if you, like, remember your childhood very well. I don't know if you remember defining moments growing up. I don't know if you have a good recall on stuff that happened that shaped you. You know, like, there's some defining moments. I'll never forget, it's a defining moment when I was growing up in Shelton, Washington. Don't Google it. Shelton, Washington. And um, I was running down the, the hill on the backside of my, of my house, and, and I slipped and fell, and I, I hit this brick. My, my, my head's, like, like bloody, and, and this kid, I thought he was going to come up and be like, oh, my gosh, are you okay? And he, and he, and he came up and kicked me. I was just like, our family's friends. That's why you're at my house. Like, this is not cool. 
and that just kind of like, that, that left a dent on me, not physically, but mentally, just kind of like, whoa, people are mean. That's kind of the first defining moment I learned that people were mean. You have defining moments growing up. You remember, like when you got your license, I had to take the test three times, another message, another day. But, you know, you defining moments. I'll never forget my first kiss. Remember your first kiss? I remember my first kiss. Oh, that was rough. That was, that didn't go well. You're like, how do you know it didn't go well? First of all, you know. Second of all, she ran, okay? It just didn't go well. Just defining moments. Like, I, like my wedding was a defining moment. It's a moment. I'm just standing there. and Julia looks so stunning and so beautiful. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, how is this? Oh, my gosh. Does she know who I am? I'm like, keep faking it. You're gonna, this is going to be rough for you. So I just like, right? Like, just defining. I'll never forget when my first child was born. I'm in, the, I'm in the hospital. I'm next to Julia's face. Like, I just stay right next to her face. You're the best. You're the greatest. You're the best person. I love you. I'm for, and as I'm saying this, and I'm like, uh, to the left a little bit, to the left. And Julia whips her head over. She's like, what did you say? I was like, sorry, my mom's giving me a massage. Well, it's a defining moment, man. It was big. It was a big my, I need support physically, emotionally. Anyway, the defining moments. Never forget when the Seahawks won the Super Bowl 43-8 against the Denver Broncos. This is a defining moments of moments that shape you, moments that stick with you. Like Seahawks, like guys, just track, okay? Took my jacket off. I want to preach, okay? Come on. What I want to talk about, not just life-defining moments, but faith-defining moments. God moments in your life that you go, I heard God say this to me. I felt Jesus come into my life. I heard heaven speak something greater over me than that the world said over me. Come on, God wants to define you, and it happens moment by moment from glory to glory, and it changes you to look more like Jesus. Come on, give him a praise. God wants to change you from moment to moment. If you didn't realize, there's about six moments that God is after in your life. There are six God moments that happen in every one of our lives. I'll show them to you today. The first one is when the moment you say yes to Jesus. You're like, okay, I heard the door. Ding dong. You're at the door. If that's you, you're the Messiah. You're 5'10", long hair, beautiful blue eyes, white teeth. You can come in. There is a moment that every person must have. And it's a God moment where you say, yes, I want to open the door. I'm tired of you being on the outside, and I'm humble enough to say, I need you on the inside. Romans 10, watch what it says. I love this scripture. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Look at the next verse. For it is with your heart that you believe and you're justified, but it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and you're saved. Every person has to have a moment where you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth. It transfers from heart to confession. You're God, I'm not. You died for my sins, I'm not big enough to save myself. You created heaven, I don't want to go to hell. There is a moment, a God moment, that you open the door and you say yes to Jesus. I believe that can happen. If you've never said that, made that decision, that moment can happen for you today. That moment can happen for you right here this morning. 
a moment of opening the door and just saying, I don't know what this looks like, but if you want to come and dine with me, I'd rather live life with Jesus than without Jesus. You confess with your mouth, you believe in your heart, you're saved. The second moment is baptism. I love this, baptism. So God just, he doesn't stop just going like, okay, cool. So now that we've had dinner, are you trying to watch Monday Night Football or where do we go from here? No, God, the next big moment is called baptism, water baptism. And by the way, I've seen water baptism happen everywhere. I've seen it happen here at Bancroft, but I've also been at people's houses where they got baptized in their pool. I'll never forget one time we were baptizing, we had this NBA guy get baptized, seven-footer, got baptized in his own house, in his own tub. That was awkward. <laughs> Just going to put it out there. That was awkward. But he felt so compelled, he felt like I had to, this moment has come to me, and I've got to get baptized in water. Water baptism is an outward expression of an inward confession. Water baptism is saying, my old is gone, the new has come. The baptism is saying, I died to my old life. And to my old ways, I died to my past, and I've come up a new creation. So there's a moment of salvation, yes to Jesus. A moment of baptism, right down the third one, it's hello, Holy Spirit. I love this one because the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite things about the Holy Spirit is that the Spirit of God is in you for you, but it's on you for others. So the Holy Spirit wants to be in you for you. Why does the Holy Spirit need to be in your life? Because the Holy Spirit, nobody can, can lead you and love you better than the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit will comfort you. The Holy Spirit will remind you. The Holy Spirit will lead you into truth. The Holy Spirit will reveal who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit will convict you, not of how bad you are, but he'll convict you of how good God is. So the Holy Spirit is in you for you, but it's on you for others. Like the Holy Spirit is on your life. Watch this, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I love this scripture, but I promise you this. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will be seized with power. So there's a moment that God says, I don't want you to live powerless. I don't want you to live without my strength. I don't want you to go without having the ability. Last night I came home and the boys had been, uh, you know, the Disney Plus has invaded our home. The Disney Plus has become the new CrossFit. Everybody's talking about it. And so I come home in the afternoon and all of my little nuggets are in my bed with my wife. I start getting jealous, and they're sprawled out, and when I say they're sprawled out, I mean Julia's sprawled out, and we're watching like, I don't know, 101 Dalmatians or something. They, these kids, they've never seen the classics, so my son keeps wanting to watch the doggy one. I'm like, son, that's 101 Dalmatians, son, and so they're there, and you know, and we have a good afternoon. Then last night I come back into my room and I grab my remote for my TV and there's no batteries in it. And so I said, Julia, very frantically, Julia, where are my batteries? Where are the batteries that go into my remote so I can watch my sports? Where are they? And she's like, I don't know. And I said, like, do we have more batteries? Because I cannot find my batteries. 
And she's like, yeah, go in the laundry room, and there's a whole thing of Amazon batteries. So I go in the laundry room, I find the batteries, I find two, I come back, I put them in, and they don't work. So I said, woman, where are my batteries? I'm going to ask you one more time, okay, okay. Scott Van Pelt's coming on soon. I need my batteries. Finally, she's superwoman. She figures out, and she makes a concoction of, like, I had one bat. Anyway, she made it work. I don't know how this stuff happens. But you trying to live your life without the Holy Spirit is you trying to live your life without batteries. The Holy Spirit gives you the power. The Holy Spirit gives you the ability to overcome. You'll never break that addiction without Jesus. You'll never become a kind person without Jesus. You'll never fulfill your full potential without the power of the Holy Spirit. Somebody give them a little bit of power praise. It's the power of God on the inside and on the outside. So the first one is yes to Jesus. second one is water baptism. third one is the Holy Spirit. The fourth one, I love this, is when I found a church. It is a moment God has when he opens your eyes to see the power and the potential of the local church. Oh, this is a moment when you find a church. This is a moment when you say, man, I found a spiritual family. I found a home. I felt like a wanderer. I felt like a church hopper. I felt like I couldn't relate. I didn't relate to the vision. I didn't relate to the pastor. I didn't relate to the staff. But when I found a home, when I found a house, so many people I talked to in the courtyard, it is amazing to me how many people I talked to and say, man, Pastor, we've been coming the last nine months, last year, or last nine weeks. I want to thank you because we have found a home. There is a moment that happens that God knocks on your door and opens your heart and says, I want you in this house. I want you in this church. I want you to build the potential and the future of this location. I want you to attach your life and your time and your treasure and your talent to building my house. I have assigned you to be a part of this community. Come on, clap and thank God. When God opens your eyes, you can't unsee it. By the way, there is no perfect church. There is no perfect family. You ever think that a family has it all together and then you get to know the family and you're like, yes. <laughs> Just like us. Gosh, you had me fooled. I feel so comforted by your dysfunction. <laughs> there is a moment that God says, I, 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 I understand that things could be better and that's why I put you in the house to make it better. I did not put you in this house so you could point out all the problems. I put you in the house so you could become the solution. Amen to that? And watch this. You need to understand something about how passionate God is about church. The local church is the hope of the world. There is no other plan for God to reach the whole world other than the church. The church is his plan. The church is God's vision. Watch what Jesus says about church, Matthew 16. I love this scripture. And this truth of who I am will be the bedrock foundation on which I will build my church. So whose church is it? It's God's. And who's building it? He is. He says, I will build my church and my legislative assembly and the power of death will not be able to overpower it. In other words, nothing can stop me. I'm all the way up. Chad, that didn't work. Come on. Nothing will stop the power of me building my church. 
So there's a moment God knocks on your heart. Why? Because it's an aha moment. I'm supposed to be here. I'm supposed to serve here. I'm supposed to build here. I'm supposed to raise my kids here. I'm supposed to get married here. Come on, somebody thank him right now. He just moves you from moment to moment. The next moment I love so much, it's, it's first fruits. It's first fruit. I'm just telling you how God works. And he's eventually, by the way, God does not work in succession of order. He's not going like, well, it has to go first and then second and then third. Sometimes God goes one to six. He'll go one to four. Like he does not care what order. Zacchaeus is a little Keebler elf in a tree one time. Shout out to all the Keebler elves. And Jesus walks by and sees a little short man up in the tree. And he says, Zacchaeus, get down from here, from your lifted truck. He's a short man. Do we want to have fun today or not? Come on, church. And he, Zacchaeus comes down and he says yes to Jesus. And then the first thing he does after that is another moment. He restores back fourfold what he stole. So God does not care about order. I'm just telling you the six moments he wants in your life. The fifth one is that God wants you to start to give first fruits. First fruits. Why do we give first fruits? Because I don't give God my leftovers. I give God my very best. I give the first and I give the best to my God who is in heaven. God is not worthy. God never comes in second. God never comes in fifth. Come on, anybody believe today? He is the God. He is the first and the last. Watch what he says if you do this. Watch. Just Proverbs 3. It says, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. Watch. What, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Translation. You honor me with your first and I'll bless you beyond your wildest dreams. You honor me with your best. Oh, you better get ready. Because your barns will not be able to hold what I pour into your lap. You'll be blessed beyond your wildest dreams. You honor God with your, with your first, with your, with your best, with your, with your sacrifice. Now, just let me get to the last one. And here's the sixth and the final one on Heart for the House. The sixth one is generosity. It's a, ge- it's a generous spirit. Here's the last, the last knock on your door. The, the first one could be Jesus. The second one could be baptism. The third one could be Holy Spirit. The fourth one could be this is your church. The fifth one could be first fruits. But I love generosity because generosity, God is trying to get us to a place. We talked about it last Sunday where we move from mine. Anybody remember last week? Mine. All this week I still kept hearing my one-year-old. Mine. To yours. That knock, that moment is a moment in time where you realize, oh, my life is not mine. My life is yours. My time is not, my, not mine. I like saying it, sorry. It's yours. And when you, when you give generous and you become a generous person, there are three levels of giving in the Bible. Three levels of generosity. Number one is tithing, giving your first fruits. Number two is generosity. And number three is extravagant generosity. I would like to remove the word extravagant and replace it with the word painful. Where it's like, oh, you wanted me to give what? 
it's amazing to me in the Bible, there is a guy named King David, and King David had so much he dipped into his own treasure, and he gave an extravagant offering. So he didn't just give generous, he gave, oh, he gave, in fact, if you pencil out what King David gave in his offering, in his over and above, it would be the equivalent in our world to $21 billion. He gave an, oh, gosh. I can't believe I'm giving this. And God knocks on our heart sometimes and says, I want you to sow generously. And then sometimes goes, he'll say, I want you to stroke so extravagantly. I want you to give like it hurts. I want you to give because you're saying something here. King David, I love that story about the lady that gave 300 denarii. And we always go like 300 denarii, that's like $300. No, it's not. 300 denarii, in that time, a denarii was one day's page, a pay, one day's wage. And so 300 denarii, that's like a year's salary. One time she took a year's salary and she presented it and she gave an extravagant generosity, an extravagant offering. I don't know about you. I'm sowing today in heart for the house, but I'm not giving a year income. It, it, this was an extravagant. Gen God will knock on your heart and he'll move you from what you should give to what would you give. Amen. And I'm telling you, when you there's generous moment. Write down uh, number two today. There's generous moments all throughout the Bible. All throughout the scriptures, you see these crazy, like, 300 denarii, year's wage, King David. What about Abraham and Isaac? If you don't know much about the Bible, this is an amazing story. This guy, Abraham's waiting for a kid for years and years and years. And his wife is, like, so old. She's like, bro, do you think I'm going to get pregnant? Do you realize how old I am? We have been at Denny's for 30 years now. Okay, you think we're going to get pregnant? And he's like, God gave me a word, babe. God gave me a word. So finally, long story short, they get pregnant with a child, and after this child comes out, they name him Isaac. He's finally been waiting years and years for this promise of this one baby boy. And after the baby comes out, God speaks to Abraham and says, Abraham, I want you to offer up as a generous sacrifice your son. And Abraham's like, okay, yep, got it, sure. I'm just going to be like really honest today. If that was me and God spoke to me, I'd be like, yeah, right. Nope. <laughs> Talk to somebody else. <laughs> All kinds of people in our church, not me. Abraham goes, yep, packs his stuff up, goes and offers his son Isaac. Right when he's getting ready to, 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 to take him out, an angel of the Lord shows up and speaks to Abraham and says, I see that you withhold nothing from me. I'm going to bless you beyond your wildest dreams. Come on, somebody thank God. It's a generous moment. All throughout the scriptures, there are generous moments, and generosity says something. Generosity speaks. Let me tell you the four things that generosity says. Worship team, you can come join me. Put, put up on the screen number one. Generosity will speak to you. Here's the first thing generosity says. Generosity says it expresses our love and gratitude for grace. Generosity is an expression of gratitude. I don't know one generous person that's not a grateful person. Because when generosity is giving with no strings attached. And so generosity has to come from a gracious place. From a grateful place. So it expresses how truly thankful I am. Otherwise, if you give it, you give it with manipulation. You give it with stipulation. You give it with, with strings attached. 
No, when God knocks on your heart and he says, I want you to start to be generous, you give because God died for your sins. You, you give because, God, you were once going to hell and now you're going to heaven. Come on, anybody thankful that when you were blind, he opened your eyes. When you were bound, he set you free. When you were dead, he made you alive. And we give gener generously because of grace. In other words, translation, I don't give to get. I give because I have. It is my getting that I already have that makes me want to give more freely. Write down the second one. Generosity moments say that our hearts belong to God first and foremost. When you express yourself in generosity, what you're saying is, God, you have me all the way. This is a statement that I want myself. You know, sometimes, hear me, sometimes you need to do stuff in your life that speak to you. Sometimes you need to do things that's like, this is for me. To prove to myself I'm not selfish. To prove to myself I'm not who I used to be. I need to do something. Why don't you start doing some things that build confidence in you? This is a statement. When I give generously, I'm making a statement. You are first and you are foremost in my home and in my life. In other words, I take myself off of the altar and I put God onto the altar. Put God first. We say it all the time at Zoe. But if God is first in your life, the rest of your life will fall in order. But it's when God is not first that things get all kinds of crazy. But generosity speaks, and it speaks God is first, and he is foremost. Write down number three. I love this. Generosity moments demonstrate a trust in God's faithfulness. In other words, what I'm saying is that God, when you give, I trust that as I give it, it's coming back to me better than I gave it. I get so excited about today's heart for the house. And so many people, i got to be honest, so many people are like, man, I felt like God gave me a number. I felt like God spoke to me and spoke to my heart. People texting this week. I talked to, we talked to this one lady this week, and she was like, this is so cute. She's like, hey, I felt like um, this is my number that God spoke to me. And so she says the number, and she's like, is that okay? I'm like, what? What do you want me to say? No. What if I was like, really? I don't know if it's going to work. I'm like, wait, what? No, it's not about what we think. This is not between me and you. This is between you and God. And I get excited because as you hear from heaven and you hear from God, the most exciting thing about today is to watch God's faithfulness return to your life. The generous moment is saying, I'm going to sow and give. And as I give, I'll watch God be faithful. I promise you, you can't outgive God. I promise you, God is a faithful God. And as you sow and as you give and as you offer up your offering, I promise you, God will come back to you in ways you never asked, ways you never imagined, ways you never believed. Come on, clap today if you're thankful. that It's a demonstration of trusting God's faithfulness. And the last one, number four, is that you got to let each man give what he has decided in his own heart. In other words, giving is always a decision. It's always a decision. It's always a decision. I decide. And I don't give what I have to give. I only give what I want to give. So in other words, the Bible says, don't give under compulsion or manipulation. It was a few years ago, Julie and I were at this banquet, and we're having a good time, you know, eating a free meal for their cause. No, come on, don't act like you've never done it. 
And this girl comes over to our table. She's like, okay, come on, you guys. Let's all give X amount. And when she said X amount, I was like, oh, you crazy. She's like, come on. So she starts going around and swiping our cards. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. If I knew, I would never have shown up. What? And so we're like, because I see my friends are all doing it. I'm like, me and Julia got to do it now. So we, we don't give under manipulation. We don't give under compulsion. Each man gives what he's decided. This is what I want to give. I pray that you give today, not under manipulation, not under compulsion, but out of a moment of saying, God, I feel like I, my heart is with this house. My heart is with Zoe and what Zoe's building. My heart is with the East location and this location we're about to launch. My heart is with Zoe Cares and what we're going to do locally, nationally, and globally. My heart is with Zoe and the next generation of reaching the youth of Los Angeles, the young adults of Los Angeles, raising up Zoe Leadership College. My heart is with this house. So I give. Let each man give what he's decided. It's a decision. It's a decision that you make in your heart. You go, you know what? This is the, it's amazing. God always speaks to me in dollar amounts, but he confirms it through Julia. Come on, ladies, say amen. God always gives me a mount, and then I go and I double check it, and I double check it very gingerly. Hey, <laughs> what are you thinking? And I'm like, she's like, what are you thinking? I'm like, nope, I'm not going to tell you the number. I'm not going to tell you the number. And then we just kind of feel our way through, and we decide, and we make a decision. But it's always because my heart is in this house. Could you imagine if today we participate in Heart for the House, and me and Julia didn't participate. No, all of us together, we're bringing our sacrifice. We're bringing our offering and we're saying, God, my heart is with the next generation of Zoe. My heart is with what we're doing locally, nationally, and globally. My heart is going to be with this East location and we're going to see more people saved in the name of Jesus. I believe that as you give, it's going to come back to your family. It's going to come back to your life beyond your wildest dreams. Come on, do you believe it today? The only reason why we give, the only, we do this once a year, over and above. The only reason why we do this is because it's an expression of our gratitude. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for being so good. Thank you, Lord, for your love. It's a defining moment. Defining moments happen all through the Bible. It's like a defining moment. Like, what about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They're standing with this decision, like, do they bow to this king or do they worship their God? And they're like, nope. We don't care what you say, king. Even if you throw us into the fire, we're not going to bow down. It's a defining moment. What about Paul? He's walking on the road to Damascus. He's a Christian killer. He hates church, hates God. He gets blinded. All of a sudden, God gets a hold of his life. It's a defining moment. What about Peter? He says, Jesus, if that's you walking on the water, why don't you tell me to get out of the boat and to walk on the water? Jesus says, come to me, Peter. And he steps out and he starts walking on the water. What about Abraham with Isaac? He said, God, if that's you, here's my son. It's a defining moment. Come on, somebody thank him. Moses had a defining moment when he stood before the Red Sea. And he said, God, if it's you, split the sea. We need moments with God that define us and we're never going to be the same. Notice all of these moments are initiated by God. It's not your doing, it's God's initiation. He's saying, no, I'm knocking. No, I'm coming. No, I want the Holy Spirit. No, I want you to do this. And when we respond, we are responding to the call and the knock and the will of God. And I believe that as we respond, it's always in action. And God will speak and we will move. Amen.